As we turn our attention to God's Word for our sermon this morning, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 9. I think the words are also in your bulletin. But we've been considering the hymns of the church, some of the hymns in our hymn books of the church, and we're trying to highlight those that underscore gospel truth, that underscore the truths that we need to live faithfully in this life. And this morning, we will conclude with a hymn by Robert Lowry from the 1800s, and it's probably a familiar one to many of you. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so this morning we have a sermon on blood, which should sound a bit shocking and absurd to you. And if it doesn't, it probably means you're used to the concept of blood. But this morning I want to show us the shock and the awe and the absurdity that we should feel, that we should know when considering that we have been bought with blood. Give your attention to God's Word. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 to 14. This is a small section from a much larger two-chapter section that gives much more explanation than we'll consider this morning. So just know that. This is a snippet of a greater story to be told. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? Let's pray that God would help us understand these words. Our Father and our God, we need your Spirit to be our teacher. The same Spirit that inspired these words, that revealed these truths to the author of Hebrews, Lord, would that Spirit now communicate to us the gospel truth and the blood of Jesus? We ask this and we pray it. In Christ's name, amen. We've heard a lot about washing our hands during this COVID season. Washing our hands and keeping at a safe distance. And our passage this morning and what we're considering from Scripture is all about washing and cleansing. About making sure that procedure is followed and that you are clean. 
The Old Testament is filled with this ceremonial law, this emphasis of an unclean people need to be made clean to come into the presence of a holy God. And this language of blood should sound a little bit absurd. Blood washing is what we're talking about. Now, some of you may be squeamish on the subject of blood. Hemophobia or hematophobia is blood phobia, the fear of blood. And it's true, I looked it up on the internet. Some of us, many of us, pass out at the sight of blood. And we are thankful for those people who do not pass out at the sight of blood. Our doctors, our caregivers, our nurses, our first responders, even our morticians who can handle the sight of blood. So here's a true story. Some people, they don't pass out at the sight of blood. Some of us almost pass out with the description of blood. So about 10 years ago, I had a student who had graduated from Erskine College and had become the owner of a funeral home. He owned his own funeral home. And I was preparing a talk for college students, a very unusual talk, on the gospel and death. And I thought, you know, you're never too young to hear about death and how the gospel applies to it. So maybe it would be a good idea for me to go with my former student to his funeral home and learn firsthand about the behind the scenes of a mortuary. I didn't see a body. I didn't see a body. He simply took me to the room where bodies are prepared and verbally described to me what takes place in that room. And suddenly I broke out in a profuse sweat and I had to sit down at the explanation of blood. Blood brings out that kind of a response in people. It makes some people drop. It makes some people queasy. Very few engage a subject of blood. So how absurd is it that blood becomes the means by which a church is to be built? That the subject of blood, the story of blood would fill our hymn books and our songs. Blood repulses people. We don't like to see it. We don't like to talk about it. And yet it is central to the church. It's almost counterintuitive. But the beauty of the blood is what we'll see in Hebrews chapter 9, that God has taken what can be horrific for us and made it beautiful for us in the person and in the work of Jesus. I have four simple points for you this morning. Blood in our everyday life experience, blood in the Bible, the blood of Jesus, and the blood in our hymn books. And we'll conclude with our hymn from Robert Lowry. So first, blood in our everyday experience. Think with me about your usual lived experience with blood. If we encounter blood, it's usually because of injury or sickness 
or disease. And we understand from a very young age that the loss of too much blood leads to death. That's a dark subject. Everything associated with blood is, is bad. It brings harm, injury, sickness, disease, or can lead to your death. Blood itself has been used as an image in the world and in our culture to signify guilt, that you have blood on your hands or that you have blood on your head. Those are statements of your guilt of doing wrong. And overall, just all together, blood, not a good subject for table conversation, right? You don't find yourself engaging in conversation about blood over the dinner table. That's blood in our everyday life. Well, how about blood in the Bible? Blood in the Bible, did you know that there are nearly 500 occurrences of the use of the word for blood, Old Testament and New Testament? 500 different references to the word for blood. We have a bloody Bible. We have a Bible where blood is a central theme to what God is communicating to creation. We know from Genesis chapter 4 verse 10 that blood is the life source. The blood of Abel cried out from the ground. We know from the Bible that bloodshed is required for sin which is to say, if you sin, you must shed blood. You must die. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. And so blood and death and sin are all intermingled into one related image. Blood is the required sacrifice of sinners to worship a holy God and to come into his presence. In the Bible, we see this meticulous description of how blood was to be used to deal with the people's sins. And this is where you need to go back on your own and read all of Hebrews 9, all of Hebrews 10, which condenses what Leviticus tells us about worship and the holiness of God and, and blood. But very simply, the Israelites were told through the tabernacle of Moses to have a a big open courtyard, almost like a big, almost like a big tent. And on the outside was the gathering place, the courtyard, where people could come in and anyone could come. And there would be an altar there for sacrifices where animals would have their blood drained from them and they would be put on the altar and burned to the Lord. And then outside of that courtyard would be a tent called the holy place. And only priests could go into the holy place. Only Levites, those of the tribe of Levi who were priests, only they could come into the holy place. And then beyond that was a smaller tent called the holy of holies. And only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. And he would go in by means of blood. And he could only go one time a year. And he went into that smaller room, that smaller tent, with blood to deal with the people's sins. 
That's the way blood is used in the Bible. We have the expression in our culture of being as serious as a heart attack. As serious as a heart attack. Heart attack is related to blood. The distribution, the right distribution of blood in the body. And so we understand, quite simply, that blood equals life. Without blood, you cannot live. And without blood, sinners cannot approach a holy God who requires death for sin. If you sin, you must die is the equation. And so we appeal to the mercies of God because he's told us to by the blood of another. And that blood of another is what the author of Hebrews announces to us. It's as if he says, enough blood already. It's time for bloodshed to come to an end because the longed-for Redeemer has finally come and His blood is sinless. His sacrifice is perfect. And in Him, redemption is accomplished once and for all. And that's the beauty of the book of Hebrews and its story of blood. We are being told that the old, bloody, and painful, and miserable monotony of ceremony is finished in the once and for all work of Christ. Third point, and this is where the real sermon lies, the blood of Jesus. Charles Spurgeon, I have three quotes this morning from him, and they're all golden. The first two are these. The blood of Christ has divine power to save. Nothing but it can ever save the soul. My works, my prayers, even my tears cannot save me. The blood of Christ, that blood alone, has power to redeem. Amen. He is underscoring that biblical story that says you must be washed in blood and not any blood, the blood of the Redeemer, the blood of the perfect Lamb, the blood of Jesus. Later, Spurgeon says in his sermon titled, The Blood, His blood alone can save. If you try to add anything to the blood of Christ, you are lost. If you trust anything else but Him, you will perish. And so you see the severity of this language of blood and how desperately you and I need it. It is the blood of Christ alone that brings the forgiveness of our sins. The blood of Jesus. There are three things that are better about this Jesus and His blood. The first is this. In verse 11, we're told that Jesus is a better priest. Well, there were a lot of priests in the Old Testament. Some faithful, some not faithful. But the author of Hebrews tells us that Jesus has come in as a perfect priest. Listen again to verse 11. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, not a part 
of this creation. Jesus is the better priest. He's the more perfect priest. Earthly priests failed. The one true priest succeeds for his people. We're also told by the author of Hebrews that this is a better sacrifice, that God has done something to make this sacrifice more than anything the world had known. Listen to verses 12 and 13. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who were ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. Skin deep cleansing. But the emphasis here is that God is looking for a cleansing that is not just skin deep. He's looking for a cleansing of who you are on the inside. The cleansing of the heart. The cleansing of the soul. The cleansing of the person. And Jesus is the only high priest who could enter by his own blood and offer that kind of redemption. Isaac Watts, in his hymn, that, so far as I know, we've not sung this in the 10 years I've been at this church, and it's not in this series uh, as one of our hymns, but, but I'm going to share some of these lyrics with you because they capture Hebrews and what we've read so perfectly. This is what Isaac Watts, the hymn writer, said. Not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away our stain. But Christ, the heavenly lamb, takes all our sins away, a sacrifice of nobler name and richer blood than they. Amen. Amen. Jesus and his blood are unique. They uniquely offer what our souls need. And then thirdly, we're offered better benefits through this sacrifice. We're offered what verse 14 calls peace of conscience. Peace of conscience, peace of mind, being at rest in our relationship with the living God and knowing that all is well. That the relationship with God is restored, not because of anything that our hands have done, but because our high priest has offered a sacrifice that suits the living God. A perfect sacrifice that appeases the just wrath of the living God. We have a better benefit because of what Jesus has done for us. The peace of conscience. Listen to what the rest of Scripture says that the blood of Christ has done for his church. And if you're a believer in Jesus, then all of these attributes are true of you. Colossians 1 says that we have redemption through his blood. We have peace through the blood of his cross. Ephesians says we've been brought near to God by the blood of Christ. Romans chapter 5 says we've been justified by his blood. 1 John says, The blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. Matthew 26 says, Jesus' blood is the new covenant, 
shed for many for the remission of sins. And then the author of Hebrews says, Jesus sanctifies his people with his own blood. And that the blood of Jesus gives bold confidence to enter the most holy place. And then lastly, in Acts chapter 20, the church has been told that it has been purchased with his own blood. Blood, 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 blood is all over the Bible. And blood is a subject we normally recoil from. And yet it is the subject that God uses to draw us near to him because someone had to bleed for your sin and my sin. And either you bleed and I bleed justly for sin or there's a substitute, a perfect substitute that we trust and put our faith in and his death counts as our death and his resurrection enables our resurrection to new life and to what Hebrew says is eternal life. Blood is all over the Bible. We don't recoil from that subject. We engage it by faith and with great hope because it's through blood that Jesus forgives sinners like us. One more quote from Charles Spurgeon. This is a uh, beautiful telling. Now, I'm going to tell you that it's long, but you have good attention span. I believe in you. So listen carefully to these words. He says, Spurgeon says in his sermon on the blood, there is no case which the blood of Christ cannot resolve. There is no sin which it cannot wash away. There is not a limit to the number of sins which it cannot cleanse. No aggravation of guilt which it cannot remove. You may be double-dyed like scarlet red. You may have been in the filth of your sins for 70 years. But the blood of Christ can take out the stain. You may have blasphemed him almost as many times as you have breathed. You may have rejected him as often as you have heard his name. You may have broken his Sabbath. You may have denied his existence. You may have doubted his Godhead. You may have persecuted his servants. You may have trampled on his blood. But all this, the blood can wash away. You may have committed whoredoms without number. Even murder itself may have defiled your hands. But this fountain filled with blood can wash all your stains away. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin. There is not a man, there is not a woman, there is not a monster of a human that this blood cannot wash and transform. Now, if you can't hear that as good news, I have nothing to offer you. But if you hear the beauty in that, if your faith is in Jesus, you need to know that every one of those words is true. For the worst 
of monsters, as Spurgeon says. The blood of Jesus alone cleanses all of our sins when we put our faith, when we put our trust in Him, when we trust that blood to wash away our sin. So this morning, you are either trusting in that blood or you're ignoring that blood and trusting in something else. This morning would be a good morning to identify what that something else is and to ask yourself, do you really see it proving itself faithful? Can you lean on that other thing the way that Jesus and his blood says, lean on me, be bathed in me, be washed in me? That's the offer of Jesus, our high priest. His blood will count for you. And if you don't receive it, it will cost you your own blood. And so it's a hard call on each of us. I was listening to Sinclair Ferguson, who preached this same text. I was listening to his sermon. And he tried to drive home the same point this way. He said, look, stop thinking that ministers are supposed to be nice. A faithful minister will make you uncomfortable and call you to seek forgiveness in the blood of Jesus. And so that's the invitation this morning, to seek Jesus and his blood, to seek to be washed in it day after day, to know that your sins are forgiven, to not trust the work of your hands, to not trust that you're a good person, that you're a nice person, that you're a pretty person, that you're a gifted person. You don't put trust in any of those things. Your trust, my trust, is in the person and the blood of Jesus and what he has said he can do for sinners like us. Lastly, as we move to our hymn, there is blood in our hymn book. There's a lot of blood in our hymn book. Some of those hymns about blood you probably have sung, and we sang some this morning. There is a fountain filled with blood. Think of the absurdity of that as we think about blood. There's a fountain filled with blood. Our children should have a lot of questions at lunch today, by the way, about fountains and blood and washing in blood. Answer those questions, parents. There is power in the blood. Mercy speaks by Jesus' blood. Are you washed in the blood? These are all hymns. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And then, of course, our hymn this morning, Nothing But the Blood. Blood, 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 blood. We are a people of blood. And the world does not understand it. Doesn't understand it. In the second century, the Christian church was accused of being cannibals because they spoke about eating and drinking the body and the blood of Jesus. And the watching world had no category for Eucharist language, for Lord's Supper language. But for us within the church, we've got the category of body and blood that we feast on Jesus as our Lamb, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Oh, how I wish we could have the Lord's Supper right now. But come back next week, and we will.
and we'll eat and we'll drink of the Lamb of God. Let's pray and then we'll sing. Our Father and our God, we give you thanks for such good news. May we not get used to it. May you break through our hard hearts and our calloused hearts and warm them with this gospel truth that's worth singing about. Lord, as we sing this song written long ago by a man, had no idea we would be singing this hymn so many years later. But Lord, would this hymn warm our cold hearts with the subject of blood and the blood of the Lamb lift our souls, not just today, but throughout our week and our life. And we ask this and pray it for one another. In Jesus' name, amen.